0: Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buker. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me now on the Fox Sports app or at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. This year's rendition of the Boston Celtics points up just how difficult it is to build a truly great team and how, if the cornerstones have any flaws or cracks in them, The GM or architect is going to be forever searching for workarounds, ways to patch those cracks or hide those flaws. Doing so can make a team better, but if the flaws or cracks are fundamental, there is always going to be a weakness. That's what the Boston Celtics are facing with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as their cornerstones. They are very good bordering on great players. But what is it I always say about true superstars, true franchise players? They don't just get their numbers. They get numbers for everybody else as well. And that is why Tatum and Brown have proved themselves to be stars, but not superstars. That's also what Marcus Smart was referring to when he said after the Celtics demoralizing 128-114 loss to the Chicago Bulls Monday night, Demoralizing because Boston, led by as many as 19 in the third quarter, shot 45% on threes for the game, and yet were outscored 39-11 to in the fourth quarter. Stats generally don't have meaning without context, but some are alarming all by themselves. And this one is. The Celtics did not have a single defensive rebound in the last 12 minutes of that game. A large part of that is because they didn't defend hard enough to make the Bulls miss. Chicago making 13 of their last 16 shots and all three misses being three-pointers. It gets even crazier. The Bulls actually rebounded all three of those misses and scored on the second chance opportunity on two of them. And the one that they didn't, was a DeMar DeRozan corner three that did go in and was initially ruled good, but that replay showed was still on his fingertips when the shot clock expired and therefore was rescinded. That's it. The Celtics' only stop in the fourth quarter was a matter of luck. But back to Marcus Smart's comments about Tatum and Brown after the game. And for those who missed what he said or only read the taken out of context sentence, they don't want to pass the ball, here's what Smart said in full. Every team knows we're trying to go to Jason and Jalen. Every team is programmed and studied to stop Jason and Jalen. I think everybody's scouting report is to make those guys pass the ball. They don't want to pass the ball. Now, Before I go on with the rest of what he said, it should be understood that they don't want to pass the ball can be interpreted more than one way. One is, of course, that they're selfish and don't want to share the ball. My guess is that hearing or seeing only that sentence, that's how most people would take it. But the second meaning, which I believe is possible in light of everything else Marcus said, is that their objective is to score because they are scorers and they're not looking to pass the ball in most situations. It's a subtle difference, but the distinction is they see their job as being to score, not set up their teammates to score. And that's what, based on what Marcus said after that, he was referring to because this is what he said. That's something that they're going to learn he said. They're still learning. We're proud of the progress they're making, but they're going to have to make another step and find ways to not only create for themselves, but create for others on this team to open up the court for them later down in the game. It's something we've been asking them to do, and they're learning. We just got to continue to help those guys do that to help our team." He made a few other comments that were not transcribed or in the the written reports that I saw, including one in which he talked about not being able to impact the game standing in the corner at the end of games, a reference to being used as a floor spacer to allow Tatum and Brown to go to work. It kind of comes off as a question about coaching strategy as well, with, first-time head coach Ime Udoka. But it's a reflection that Marcus would like to be more involved in end-of-game action. And I don't really blame him for this reason. Tatum and Brown, while more capable scorers, are not consistently aggressive. And I'm not certain that their decision-making is on par with Marcus. Marcus is willing to make the hustle play, the... I don't know what you call it the the instinctive everything's broken down and I'm just going to make a play I've seen him do that an extraordinary number of times I can't recall off the top of my head seeing Tatum or Brown do that I'm sure they have but if they did it invariably was by how they scored they're aggressive in only one way which is trying to score This, by the way, is where I absolutely despise arguments made on Twitter, especially when somebody posts a video, as they did of Tatum driving to the paint and kicking the ball to Marcus for a wide-open three against the Bulls, which Marcus missed, using that as evidence that Marcus was wrong in what he was saying, as if one play, one pass, is proof or justification of anything. Now, it carries weight because it's visual evidence of something. But it doesn't address the point. And it's misleading because of how I explained what Marcus meant when he said they don't pass. What Marcus meant, and maybe should have said, is not that they don't want to pass, but that Jalen and Jason don't know how to make plays. There is no sizing up the defense and attacking with a plan of... I'm looking to get to this spot because it will mean I can either score with this kind of shot or shots or B, I will be able to get this kind of shot for teammate A, B or C. I'm going to get to a place where I know I'm going to make the defense uncomfortable and I'm going to make them, I'm going to force them into a difficult decision where they have to give something up. To be able to do that, you invariably have to get to the paint. You have to tack off the dribble, and you have to have an idea of where you want to go and where everybody is. That's generally not how Tatum and Brown operate. When they go on the attack, they are hunting for a shot, and it's only if they are stopped that they then give up the ball. That is not the kind of passing that Marcus Smart is talking about. Just passing for passing sake, swinging the ball, that doesn't create anything. I'm not even sure if you qualify it as being unselfish since, especially if you dribble down the clock and then you pass it to somebody who is equally guarded as you are, I would say that's more selfish. You're putting them in a difficult position after you burned a healthy part of the clock. Giving up or passing the ball is different than making a play for someone. The former is basically conceding your plan didn't work. The latter is forcing the defense to make a choice of either giving you a shot or giving someone else an easy shot. Now, this only happens if the playmaker is getting somewhere below the free throw line and, as I said, ideally into the paint. This is what Tatum and Brown do not consistently do at crunch time they settle all too often for mid-range jumpers. They're a good mid-range jumping team, jump shooting team or rather players. But that is not going to create shots, easy shots for anybody else. In the fourth quarter against the Bulls, Tatum missed 7 of his 8 shots and he had one assist. 3 of his shots were in the paint, including his one make. Brown missed his only two shots both long-range jumpers. The fourth quarter against the Bulls was not an outlier either. Tatum is leading the league in average minutes played so far and taking a career-high 25 shots a game while shooting career lows in field goal and three-point percentage. The answer for a talented player when they're not shooting well is to drive and create or get to the free throw line or at least spend less time casting from afar. Tatum has done none of those things, despite having a career-high usage rate that is 7th in the league overall, right behind Paul George and just ahead of Ja Morant. How does he stack up to the production of either of them? Not well. George is shooting far better percentages, leading the league in steals, and is averaging more points and assists while playing fewer minutes, doing... More with less, in other words. Morant is outdoing Tatum in every category except rebounding. Jalen Brown is shooting better than Tatum, but his playmaking is actually worse with more turnovers than assists. The only acceptable position for that is a big. And since teams play so small, I'm not even sure that that still applies. But at least when you're in the post... You have fewer opportunities to create assists, and chances are you're getting double teamed. Turnovers happen. That's not what Jalen Brown does. So the fact that he's averaging more turnovers than assists really is unconscionable. The matter of fact way in which Smart gave his critique, by the way, suggests that this is not a new topic of conversation for the Celtics. In fact, it's why I suspect he went public with it. At some point, if private conversations, conversations in the locker room, don't seem to be having the desired effect, a player or coach will go public with the team's issues in the hope that public pressure will affect the change that they were hoping for that hasn't happened. Now, I don't want to put everything on Tatum and Brown because they are not the Celtics' Only issue right now. There's also a matter of elevated expectations because of what seemed to be several shrewd moves by new GM Brad Stevens that have not been met. I was among those who thought the Celtics would be improved, as did the odds makers, who had them going from a perfectly average thirty six and thirty six record last year and a quick first round playoff exit to the Brooklyn Nets, to winning between forty five and forty six games which would put them right in the middle of the playoff picture. Stevens picked up swingman Josh Richardson from the Dallas Mavericks for backup center Moses Brown. They brought back two Celtic big man alums, popular ones, signing Ennis Cantor as a free agent and dealing Kemba Walker to Oklahoma City for Al Horford. They then signed Dennis Schroeder to a one-year $5.89 million deal as a free agent to fill Kemba's point guard spot. Probably the deal of the summer, or steal of the summer, if you will. Now, Schroeder has been fairly good, although his shooting is worse overall than it was for the Lakers last season, which is disconcerting. Richardson is down even from what he did with Dallas last year, which was a dip from his previous stops in Philadelphia and Miami, especially defensively, which is supposed to be his calling card. Horford is 35. He's a pro's pro. He's averaging a poor man's double. You don't expect him to win games for you. He's a smart player. He's going to play off of everybody else. He's solid, not exceptional at this point. Cantor is getting no run from new coach Ime Odoka. I don't know why. Perhaps because the Celtics defense is bad enough, and Cantor assuredly would make it worse. Which brings me to the other element that Tatum and Brown are a factor in. And that's the Celtics' short supply of grit or physical toughness, if you will. If there's one reason they lost five of their first seven games, it's because they played four of them, all losses, against teams that got physical with them. The Knicks in the season opener, the Toronto Raptors two nights later, and the Washington Wizards in back-to-back losses. Perhaps the most startling or revealing moment in one of the Wizards' losses is when forward Montrez Harrell posted up Schroeder, scored on him, and then laughed at him and called him trash as he got back on defense. Montrez and Schroeder were teammates with the Lakers last year and spent a good deal of time playing together because of injuries to A.D. and LeBron. It did not appear Montrez was mocking him good-naturedly either. I could be wrong. Maybe Montrez's laughter was not as mean-spirited as it appeared, but it's hard to put calling a former teammate trash in the just-having-fun-with-a-former-pal category. Which speaks to, one... How messed up the Lakers chemistry actually was last year. And two, the long-held innuendo that Schroeder has been a difficult teammate at nearly every stop. Maybe not nearly, at every stop, which has overshadowed what has been otherwise fairly strong play on the court. It might be why he ultimately wound up with a one-year $5.89 million dollar deal. Because from a talent perspective, He is far more valuable than that. The truest reflection of just how soft the Celtics are came against the Bulls, who were also smacked in the mouth by both the Knicks and Raptors and are not physically imposing. They're using Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball to defend in the post. And as I've mentioned... Caruso is uh, 170, 175 pounds 6'4 I, I have to believe he's, he's heavier than that He looks a little stronger than that But nonetheless Well under two pound, 200 pounds at, at 6'4 And Lonzo Ball is listed as 6'6 And 190 pounds And yet The Bulls collectively had no problem Taking it to the Celtics Particularly in that devastating fourth quarter Boston did not seem to realize that the early leads they enjoyed were only because the Bulls kept shooting themselves in the foot with unforced turnovers. Once they stopped, the comeback was on. I can't help wonder what part in all this that new coach uh, Ime Udoka plays. I've wondered how hard it is for Steve Nash to hold the respect and attention of his star laden roster. And he was a two-time MVP. Yudoka was a journeyman who didn't make it into the league until he was 26 and had a total of 316 appearances over seven seasons. That's an average of 45 games a year. Now, he had retired several years before any Celtic other than Horford made it to the league. But his career came close enough that surely they watched him or were aware of his undistinguished career. I can't help but wonder if Udoka might garner more respect never having played in the league, a la Brad Stevens, than having played in it, but at a level well below the stars he's trying to command. A level fresh in those stars' minds. Udoka aside, the issue with Tatum and Brown is that they are the Celtics' most talented players, and two of their three highest paid along with Horford. Yet, they have proved to be stars, not superstars. They are not vocal, and they haven't displayed notable leadership qualities. They are not particularly forceful or assertive on either ends of the floor on a consistent basis. When the team gets wobbly, as they did against the Bulls, or needs someone to get them back on the beam, or give the team a collective dose of reality, like hey, we may be winning, but we're not playing hard and we're ahead because of the mistakes, the unforced mistakes they've made. We're going to have to play a lot harder if we're going to close this out. You need somebody who is recognizing that and letting everybody know because it's really easy to fall into a false sense of security. You're up, you're hitting every shot, you're feeling good. Life's great. A veteran, a veteran leader, let's everybody know they're not we're not playing the scoreboard we're playing based on how we need to play to win because we're trying to build something here we're trying to play at a certain level and the great players the great leaders understand what that level is and when it's being met and when it's not and they demand when it's not that their team give that added effort doesn't mean they'll always respond But you need somebody recognizing that it's not being met. Now, someone close to the team said Jason Tatum wants to be like Kobe Bryant, who was very good at setting that standard and asking it of his teammates. But they also said that he doesn't, while he does work hard, he doesn't work as hard as Kobe did. And then again, few players ever have. Bottom line is, when it comes to leadership, Marcus Smart has both Jalen and Jason in that department. And one GM I spoke to said the rub is that Smart often is the best player on the floor for both teams, yet is making half of what Tatum and Brown are making. He has not been annoyed by the franchise based on the contract they gave him as the team leader, which creates a quandary or awkward dynamic. Because just like a business, a team needs a clear line of authority that is true and tested. And no, not every team has its leader making the most money. Sometimes that dynamic uh, is out of line. But I dare say there are very few teams where the salary hierarchy is as out of whack as it is for the Boston Celtics. And those teams go on as title contenders. Because, just as I said, like a business, a team needs a clear line of authority that is true and tested. And without it, a team can be competitive, but it will never rise to the top. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I'm pretty sure... I am going to have to dive into what is going on with Ben Simmons once again in Philadelphia with the reports about him not being mentally ready but rejecting the Sixers' offers of providing mental health assistance direction I have issues I have issues with the report I have issues with the entire story or at least certainly questions that I will try to explore with some of my sources between now and then. And I'll give you my thoughts in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.